0: Dear listeners, Sairam, welcome to our radio series, Afternoon Satsang. This is a discussion between Radio Sai's Prem and Arvind on different spiritual topics. Every Thursday on Asia Stream, you can enjoy this live conversation. It's from 12.30pm to 2pm Indian Standard Time. Today's episode was first featured as part of Thursday Live on March 14th, 2013.
1: Sairam, dear listeners, and welcome to another segment of Afternoon Satsang being broadcast from God's own radio channel, Radio Sai Global Harmony from our studios at Prasanthi I am Arvind from Team Radio Sai and along with me is Prem from Team Radio Sai as always joining us in this Satsang. First and foremost, I would like to offer my most humble pranams, at the lotus feet of our beloved Bhagwan, who is very much a part of this satsang, and then, Sairam Prem,
2: Sairam Arvind, and Sairam to all listeners from all across the globe, and I join you in offering my humble pranams at Bhagwan's lotus feet.
1: Prem, I find that Shivratri festival is very very special because it has got something to do directly with the topic that we plan to discuss today.
2: Yeah, Having said that what we plan to discuss, let's hope we or let's see if that's the topic we come to today. We're talking about Shivratriya, yeah, you were talking about uh, the significance of Shivratri and how it has a bearing on what we want to talk today. It's got to do with the waning of the moon, which Swami used to talk about, right? Correct. Because in Hindu mythology, Shivratri actually comes every month. There is a mass Shivratri, they call it. It comes every month. That is in the fourteenth day of the waning phase of the moon, uh,
1: one day before Amavasya, uh, Chattu, or the new moon Dashi, day, when ah. the
2: moon is the leanest in its uh, you know appearance in the sky. And one year, one Shivratri of the year is supposed to be the Mahashivratri, which is celebrated even in Prashantinilam. So what Swami says is that you know, and it is also established that the moon has a bearing on the mind.
1: Yeah, Prem. The Vedic statement that says that is Chandrama Manaso, Manaso Jata. Vajata. Uh, So, Swami has often told us that the moon and mind are completely related. Right. In fact, you know, the other day when I was reading through, there's a book on sun signs by Linda Goodman. Right. And uh, the sun sign Cancer is supposed to be ruled by the moon. Mm -hmm. And there it is written that, uh, you know, on a full moon day, you will see Cancerians behaving a little crankily (laughs) because the moon is the presiding deity and the moon, I mean... In many many ways across cultures, you know, the moon has been related to the mind.
2: No, actually, even in psychiatry, those who are mentally ill they can see behavioral pattern changes in According accordance. According to the phases, the of, the phases moon. of the moon.
1: So it's an established fact. So Swami says that the mind is least controlled when as the moon is waning. Right. And on a new moon day is the best day to be, you know, freed of all the uh, different problems and obstacles and thoughts and all the things that arise from the mind. A very fertile day to concentrate on spiritual pursuit. Right. And therefore, Swami says on Shivaratri day when the moon is at its weakest, it's like striking the iron when it's hot, making hay when the sun shines. So, getting rid of the mind when it's at its weakest. Right. Spend the day in Namasmarana, think of the Lord and attain the highest because that day is very, very special. It's also dedicated to Lord Shiva. Now, this mind going into nothingness is something very special with regard to today's topic. But I think, Prem, before we introduce what is our topic today, since uh, we have got our notes here, we are able to compare and see how it is flowing with the last three satsangs. Maybe you should briefly summarize what we have done for the last few weeks, what we have discussed and what uh, what has arisen so that we can lead on to today's topic.
2: Exactly. I mean, it's been a fascinating journey to say the least. Mm-hmm. I think we started off on Feb 14th, like how we mentioned it last week also. I mean, uh, a couple of weeks back also. That started with the discussion on love and that has led...
1: That was something like a Valentine's Day special. <laughs>
2: right. But you know, even we have come to see that love is such a deep topic and uh, we so flimsily use that word and even when he use it in our conversation with Swami but it has so many deep uh, emotions involved within that small word and I think that's what we've been exploring over the past few weeks. So we started off by talking about what is love and what are the various aspects and features of love and then the satsang following that we spoke of that episode which we mentioned before you know the how can God be compassionate when there is so much suffering in the world and there where we said how can we say God has love? When we see suffering and pain. And that was the topic we discussed. Then we went on to say that when we say we love Swami, do we really love Swami or do we really love what Swami is there to give? You know, in the sense of what Swami gives materially, in the sense of what Swami gives in the form of protection, in the form of cure for your illness or alleviation of your pain, whatever.
1: So, whether we love Swami or we love what Swami gives. And after that, you know, we moved on to discussing whether when we say we love Swami and not what Swami gives. Is that a one-time decision to make? Is it a one-time event, one-time affair? Or how does it figure when it's put on a balance along with other things? You know, it's easy to say, I choose God. But when it comes to do you choose God or do you choose something else that is dear to you? When it's put in a balance, in isolation, it's easy to choose God. But when it's put in a balance against something else that is very dear to us, then what do we do? Those are the maybe moral dilemmas that come up, ethical dilemmas or other dilemmas of choosing between two things that we love. So, at that time, do we choose God? Right. Which brings us to a point whether choosing God, is it a one-time event or is it a lifelong commitment?
2: Yeah, not only a lifelong commitment, it's also a lifelong struggle. Mm. You know, because it is easy to say, so many times, someone would come and ask, what do you want? And I think we all have been trained to give the answer that Swami, we want only you. Hmm. And somewhere in the heart, it's there. It's not like it's a completely an empty statement. But to stick to that statement in every decision in life and in every station in life, I think it's an effort which is an ongoing process. It's not like once done and forgotten.
1: Dear listeners, at this point, uh, it's a very interesting way that Preem brought up this uh, last week, for ex- uh, not last week, the week before that, when we had our last satsang, for example, I remember giving the example of uh, the choice that Arjuna made when he visited Lord Krishna Just before the before great the Mahabharata war. Right. That was the time Lord Krishna gave the options to Duryodhana and Arjuna. Duryodhana, as we know, you know, is historically considered as the wicked person, and Arjuna is the hero, and so. Lord Krishna says, do you want me or my army? And uh, on one side is Lord Krishna, who is not going to pick up arms in the battle. On the other side is, is his great, massive, brave and famous Narayani Sena, which is known for its ferocious and you know, they die in the battle. Either they win or they don't come back home. That is the kind of uh, resolve they have, that great army.
2: In fact, it is the army which has actually given name to Krishna because even if you see the Mahabharata, Krishna was never a king. Hmm. He was only a king-maker and he actually had a lot of say because of that army which he had. Very, very powerful and very committed uh, warriors in that army.
1: Correct. Very right, Prem. And so, Krishna when he offers this choice, Arjuna says, Lord, I want you. Duryodhana is very happy because he feels what can one cowherd king, you know, do when he's unarmed? So he's happy with that. And I remember discussing this as an example where you choose God over an apparently powerful and wonderful, lucrative majestic, <laughs> lucrative worldly choice. But at that time, Prem, you brought up one point which was really very significant, and I feel that you must bring that up. Same thing now because it leads to a very significant point.
2: Right. You know, once when we were discussing this very example and uh, with a couple of friends, this point came up that it is fine that Arjuna made the choice. But here was Krishna making the choice for the Narayani Sena. He was hmm. throwing open, you know, all said in the Narayani Sena were people who were gathered and that army was built entirely by Krishna. You know, by his presence. Hmm. They were all, you might not say devotees of Krishna, but they were all people very who were followers, yeah, followers of Krishna. They committed their life to Krishna and you know that was their uh, uh, you know devotion or whatever to Krishna and here was Krishna giving the offer of letting this army fight against him correct because it was an obvious thing if he's going to place him uh, you know opposite to the the army army. as a choice which means he's going to let the army fight against him and they finally had to fight in the adharmic side Hmm. the side which was unrighteous the side which was wicked and you know imagine the predicament of that army.
1: Hmm. If they have decided to follow Krishna, they have decided to be led by Krishna and they've dedicated their life for Krishna. And now Krishna tells them to do something which is so if I may use the term a Krishna. Which is so <laughs> unlike Krishna. Because he is so, now... I'm saying,
2: yeah, will you do whatever I tell you to do? And they say, definitely Lord, okay, fight against me now.
1: Fight against me. I am on the side of Dharma because...
2: And you know very well that that is that is the side which is going to be victorious. And how many choices to make when I mean, you are actually walking into your death? Literally. And you are... You know, the very uh, uh, principles which you stood by when, you, when the army was formed, you are actually going to go against it.
1: That is a very, very poignant question. It's easy to choose God over other things. The question was, choosing God in isolation is easy, but what when comparison? Choosing God in comparison with other things is also easy. What when you are not given a choice, but God chooses for you? (laughs) And God chooses for you something which in our knowledge, in our day-to-day knowing appears to be going against what God himself stands for. It was literally that. God stood for the Pandavas, Krishna stood for the Pandavas but he wants his select loyal band of followers who are ready to die for him to die against him.
2: And same thing and even if you look at Arjuna's choice you know where I made that point that it's not just a moment's choice but it's a lifelong effort Hmm. because so many times in the war actually Arjuna questions Krishna's moves. And you know, when Arjuna is asked to do something, he says, No, that is not right. That is not the rule of the hmm. you know, rules of warfare. And when his son is lost in the battle, he accuses Krishna. You know, the same Arjuna who made that wise choice was actually questioning Krishna in every point. So hmm. is there you know some kind of discrepancy there in that choice? So it is not just choosing God, it is like staying by that choice all your life.
1: Well I guess these questions At least, we will not be able to conclusively answer because we have no capacity to either judge or see, but we can just discuss. In this discussion, I remembered one very interesting episode, if I may call it so. Mm -hmm. This was told to me by Professor Nanjundaya, sir. You know, who was formerly the controller controller of examinations examinations. for the Sri Satsai Institute. Now, he is retired. He has settled in Puttaparthi. A very inspiring gentleman. For a long time, he was the Translator, translator for Swami. Swami's discourse. And, I don't know, he always oozes Swami. Whenever he meets, he greets, he starts speaking about Swami and he tells something that Swami told in an interview room or Swami told in a discourse or, it's wonderful. So, one such occasion, he shared this experience. Mm-hmm. He said this was the time when Shri Narayan Kasturi, N. Kasturi used to be the translator for Bhagwan, Okay. And, uh, Nanjundaya Sir had the chance of pressing Swami's feet in His chambers and one day after a discourse as Bhagwan was seated on the chair and Sir was pressing His feet, they heard footsteps coming up the staircase and Sir guessed that it must be Kasturi Sir. Swami then told him that it is Kasturi mm-hmm. and asked him how, how was his translation today? Now, that was a day when you know Kasturi uh, Sir had made a very powerful translation. Okay. There are days, you know, when you do very well, some, some days are not so good. So, that was one of his good days. It was very excellent and so that is what Nanjunda sir said, Swami, it was very good, very excellent. Swami said, No, it was not good. That is what you will say. <laughs> you will say that he is very egoistic. He thinks he knows everything, but silly errors he commits. This kind of ego is not good for him. Mm-hmm. It will lead to his downfall. He must rectify himself and his translation. This is what you will say. As <laughs> Swami completed telling that, Kasturi sir enters and there is a smile on his face. Okay. And the same Swami who has advised, so, I mean when you hear this, you feel that Swami is advising Anjundaya sir to say so because he wants to keep maybe Kasturi sir's ego under check. That is the, what is the thing that came into my mind. But this same Swami tells Kasturi, Kasturi, it seems, your translation was excellent. Everybody is speaking very highly about your translation. Okay. <laughs> and the beaming Kasturi's smiles grow wider. They grow from year to year. He is so happy. And at that time, Swami says, Nanjundaya, what do you think? And Nanjundaya Sir says, Swami, it was bad. <laughs> Swami, so many errors were there. He thinks that he is doing a good job, but that is ego coming in. With ego, the translation can't be done well. And Kasturi Sir, his face becomes red in embarrassment. He is not able to understand what is this. He is upset and after hearing the whole outpour, he just turns and proceeds and whatever he was doing, he goes away from there. And then Swami says, you should never tell him that I told you to tell this. (laughs) And it was years before he got the permission and in one occasion when Kasturi Sir narrated in a place in a meeting, an incident where he was put into Nanjundaya Sir's position, you know, okay. being told something and told to be quiet. Okay. After that happened, Nanjundaya Sir went and told it to Kasturi Sir, telling that this is what had happened. This is Kasturi Sir smiled and he said, I know, now I realize, I don't have any ill feeling towards you. But for so many years, so it is not that if you are ready to follow Swami, It will all be, you know, hunky-dory. What will you do if, just like the Narayani Sena was advised by Krishna, if you are advised by Swami to do something that in any other sense of the term is very against Swami. For instance, what if Swami says from tomorrow onwards, if you really love me, criticize me, speak against me and write against me. If you do so sincerely, then I will know that you love me. Are you ready to do that for me? Am I ready? I don't think so.
2: I uh, know. Even as you're telling, uh, talking about Nandun another incident which comes to my mind is what happened to a student. You know, Swami apparently had asked this boy to pursue his MBA. He had finished his, I think, MCom or something, and Swami said, "You do MBA." He was not interested, so he was in that uh, purple patch of his relationship with Swami, you could say. And Swami was very keen on him doing MBA. That was mm-hmm. the year MBA was starting. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Swami said, "No, no, you do MBA. You apply and all that." And then Swami was pushing him to write. And maybe, you know, he had that complacency that Swami will give him the MBA. He doesn't have to put any effort because Swami was more keen that he do the course than himself. So, he didn't prepare for the exam and he went and uh, did very badly in the exam. Hmm. You know, this boy himself narrated this incident to us and he said, Swami called him one day and after the results had come, Swami called him and you know that corner between the Bajanol door and the interview room door? Yeah. Just a small corner. No? Yeah. Swami called him there and literally pushed him towards the wall and Swami asked him, what did you write in the exam? Uh-huh. So he said, Swami, I told you I'm not prepared for the exam. I'm not uh, you know qualified enough to clear the exam. I said, No, what did you write in that exam? They've given you minus five. You've got negative <laughs> marking. What did you write in that exam? And he said, No, sorry, Swami, I didn't do well. And some said, Okay, okay, I'll take care. You know, don't worry. You go attend the interview, I'll take care. Okay, so this boy goes for the interview and Obviously, he's gone for the interview because Swami has, you know, uh, recommended his name. And there uh, he goes for the interview and he gets blasted by the interview panel. Okay. The people, the vice chancellor, the registrar and all of them. And he's kind of asked hundreds of questions and he's literally in tears and they said, do you think that it's so easy to get an MBA in our university and you take it so lightly and they shouted at him and literally threw him out of the interview room. And he was sure that he's not going to get his MBA. Hmm. So after that, the next day Swami comes and calls him. And Swami says, what happened? What happened in the interview? So literally in tears, he says, Swami, they did like this and they shouted at me and I said, okay, don't worry, I'll take care. So, and needless to say, that boy gets the seat. Swami gives him the seat. And actually the story behind this is what I came to know from somebody in the ad block. This part I heard from the student himself. Mm. And somebody from the ad block said
1: the administrative block of
2: the university university, Mm. that the day before the interview Mm. Swami called the registrar and Swami asked how did this boy do in the entrance.
0: Mm. And
2: he said Swami has done very badly Mm. and I think there is absolutely no effort gone into the exam. Then Swami told the registrar that when he comes for the interview
1: Mm.
2: don't spare him. Okay, be as rude as you can to him. You should make him cry.
1: Oh, that is Swami's instruction to that the registrar. That is Swami's
2: instruction to the registrar. And that's exactly what he did. And this boy Did came. the
1: registrar tell the boy later on?
2: No, till today, I don't think the boy knows that this was what
1: happened. Oh, so now you are the secret link.
2: <laughs> so, you can imagine that it was, you know, the registrar knew that that boy is going to Forever look at him and say that you tried to spoil my career, chances of getting into getting the NBA, and Swami gave it to me. Hmm. So, I think I mean, there are innumerable instances like this when Swami puts a test kind of you know, like this, where you will have to willingly go and probably
1: really <laughs> you know, be a, rude. A very, a very tough situation, Prem, because if you imagine we have a concept of God. You know, we feel God stands for this, God stands for this, God stands for this. And we have a concept of a devotee too. (laughs) Correct. In the name of God, what we can do. Yes. But, though we may not understand its import, we also believe in a statement that nothing is impossible for God. We state it. But we do not realize the implications of what that statement means. Right. It means that, it is possible therefore that God can tell you to oppose God Himself. Just like Krishna told the Narayani Sena to oppose and today when I see the world over, there are some people who criticize Swami, who lash out on a persistent and consistent basis. I sometimes wonder, have they been divinely instructed to do that? You never know. <laughs> because they have been doing it with the same amount of steadfastness, devotion and dedication that you know we are we consider ourselves to be doing because we feel steadfastness, devotion and love is shown when we are able to praise the Lord. With that same thing, they are criticizing the Lord. Kamsa got redeemed, Shishupala got redeemed by incessantly criticizing the Lord. The Lord is such a what can we say that philosopher's stone that his touch is enough in any way, either in criticism or in praise.
2: Actually, you know, I am reminded of a very powerful dream one of my seniors had. This boy was studying in the US. You know, he was uh, there to do his research and in the university where he was studying, there was a notice which said that we have a lecture today in the auditorium, a special lecture. And you know what? The topic was against Swami. In a university in the US, Uh and here was somebody going to come and talk that you should not believe in people like Swami. Oh God. Okay, and it was put on the notice board and it was open to all the students of the university. And there were a set of boys there, uh, like this brother of ours, who were actually very devoted to Swami and they were very upset and offended by, Hmm. you know, such a meeting being arranged. So they got together and they decided that they'll go and speak to the management and have this thing scrapped. And that night, this boy has a dream, okay? And the dream is, they're seated in the auditorium and he sees this person, this guest lecturer, standing at the uh, podium and speaking against Swami. Hmm. Okay, and he's sitting there with the rest of the boys and boiling within. He said, you know, how can such a thing happen? And how can the university create such things? And even as these emotions are running through his mind in the dream, the lecture gets over and this person comes down from the stage and walks past the aisle where he was sitting. And even as you are seeing in the dream he sees that that person turns into Swami Hmm. and looks at him and says now you understand and walks away. Wow! Literally saying that don't do anything (laughs) whatever is happening is my doing.
1: (laughs) We are so much trained to think that whatever happens we have to do something. Do something. (laughs) That the concept of doing nothing, being nothing seems so passive and negative actually. That, I feel, is a nice way, you know, it's high time already. We bring in today's topic, which is the three zeros. Right. What are these three zeros? Because again, you know, I feel it's nice to introduce it through a small episode. Mr. Isaac Tigrit, the founder of Hard Rock Cafe and big time donor for the Super Speciality Hospital in Prasanthi Right. He faced a cold treatment period. All devotees will be aware you know,
2: of. The first time he comes, the way he comes is very beautiful. He says that for so many years, hmm. he keeps hearing a voice from within saying that I am waiting for you, I am waiting for you, I am waiting for you. And he goes to many ashrams, meets many holy men and you know, he never feels that this was the that connection. This was the person who is calling me. And when he comes to Swami, the first time he comes, you know, he's, he comes to Brindavan, He's, he's standing, standing in, in, the, in the black and black, black suit. Black and black with black shades and in the end of the year, just leaning on the wall and Swami comes parting the crowd comes straight to him and Swami says I have been waiting for you for long
1: and material is vibhuti and yeah. gives it to him and
2: he says you have finally come we have a lot of work to do
1: and he makes a connection instantly and after that for the next decade or so 15 years 15 years <laughs> Swami doesn't even interact with him in any manner and when he was asked you know what did he feel you are given such a rousing welcome and after that for 15 years nothing He said, I really did not feel anything because I knew the concept of the three zeros. So, well, dear listeners, that is the importance of this concept. Knowing this concept is so uplifting. It gives us so much more deeper insight and understanding. So, Prem, if I were to ask you on behalf of all our listeners, what is this concept of the three zeros? How will you explain that?
2: I think three zeros can be any three zeros. I think you can put any three top most important things in your life in that three spots. But uh, just generalizing them and giving the general three zeros, let me re-narrate that incident where Swami spoke about those three zeros. Yes. When a devotee very casually told Swami, I think it was during Darshan and Swami was walking by Mm -hmm. and uh, Swami had a conversation with her and at the end of that, she just said, Swami, I only pray for your grace. And Swami who had already started walking stopped, turned back, came to her and said what did you ask? And uh, she just said I didn't ask anything wrong I said Swami give me your grace I just want your grace I said do you know what it is to get my grace? And Swami said are you prepared to go through the three zeros? If you are ready to go through the three zeros at the end of it you will get my grace And then Swami said the first zero is the zero of wealth if you still love me the second zero is the zero of relationships and friendships. All your contacts. And the third zero is the zero of fame. Your name.
1: Fame. Self-respect. Your self-respect.
2: And if you are ready to go through these three zeros, then you will get me
1: and my grace. Which means, if tomorrow your wealth becomes zero, and at that time, if you say, Swami, I don't want wealth, I want you. And then comes the next zero where your relationships, your friendships come to naught. When they become zero and you say, Swami, I don't care for them, I want you. And then your own self-respect, the thing that everyone holds most dear to them, their own concept of themselves. That itself others think you are, which is so important for us. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) When that itself comes down to zero, and then you still say, Swami, that is not important. I love you. That is when we are ready to receive his grace. We shall discuss more about this on the other side of this short break and in this break, we play a small song which amplifies this feeling that Lord, You are everything, everything else is a zero without You. Man
3: Mero Te बिना साई मन मेरो लागे ना तेरे बिना साई तेरे दर्शन के प्यासी अखियां तेरे दर्शन की प्यासी जीवन ज्योत जलाओ साईं मेरे जीवन ज्योत जलाओ साईं मेरे मन मेरो लागे ना तेरे बिना मन में रुलागे ना तेरे बिना तेरी छवि अति सुंदर केश ये है घुंगराले निराले तेरी छवि अति सुंदर केश ये है घुंगराले निराले नयन कमल मन मोहक मदक रंजित है अधराले तेरी छवि अति सुंदर केश ये है घुंगराले निराले इस छज्जी को हमें मन में भर कर को गाई मन मे रुलागे ना तेरे बिना रे
2: Yes, Arvind. So, let's continue in our discussion about these uh, three zeros. The first zero, the zero of wealth. I think it's a very common thing. In fact, you know, once I was talking to a devotee who used to come in the 1960s.
1: Oh, okay.
2: okay. Literally, I think Swami had a name that if you go to him, he might take away all your wealth.
1: Oh, okay. People
2: had that fear. And you know, if you look at it that way, mm. most of these Swamiji's, I mean, no disrespect meant to anybody, the thing, their USP, the unique selling preposition or whatever, you know, is that they will alleviate all your pain. Mm. But here was Swami who had the name that you know, if you go to him, he might get more troubles.
1: <laughs> wow.
2: But, the number of followers who came to Swami just kept increasing. Hmm. Because uh, I think Swami never minced words. (laughs) Swami never said, I will give you whatever you want. Swami always said, I will give you what you want. What you need. Only so that one day I can give you what you really have to get from me.
1: (laughs) And Swami has said it time and again in His discourses that, you know, untruth shivers at every shadow. But truth has nothing to fear and His name itself stood for Truth, Satya Sai. So, He did not mince words as you said and in spite of that, you know, in spite of that, it has happened, it has happened. You know, when I was just thinking about this, when you see the world over, you know, there have been occasions where people don't like a leader, they have even thrown a boot at him, you know, they have stood up and shouted and spoken against him when he or she is walking out of some place, there are people surrounding him and talking against him. I used to think that if there is so much opposition actually for Swami as such, not a single occasion where somebody has stood up and told, Swami, you are a cheat, Swami, you are this, Swami... Never! And Swami used to walk unarmed with nobody amidst the huge crowds. As we discussed during, you know, they came, they saw, they got conquered when we discussed during that they came, they saw He conquered. Even people who came with objectives to so-called bash up or malign Swami, once they saw Swami, they were just won over and it is not because of His physical beauty, it is not because of His charming voice or anything. It is because of something, something magical that the heart, only the heart understands because of which his face becomes beautiful, his voice becomes melodious, everything about him becomes beautiful. (laughs) As the Madhurashtakam says for Lord Krishna, I feel that is the thing about avatars. Krishna is dark and yet everybody glorifies his beauty because there is something magical, there is that inner beauty because of which every aspect, everything about them becomes beautiful. And I think I have taken off a digression.
2: No, and actually Though it is a digression, it's leading to what a uh, story I would like to narrate. Hmm. You know, talking of the three zeros, hmm. how Swami would put devotees through the zero of wealth. Okay, It's happened before, it's happened with a couple of devotees. And uh, the devotee I would like to mention here is a person by name, Balapattabi. We had the opportunity to interview him. We, he was actually post-90 at that time. We sent somebody to Chennai where he was living and had his interview recorded in his house. Hmm this person came to Swami in
1: 1945 1945 Swami was not even in his 20s then
2: yeah Swami was very young and you can imagine coming to uh, Parthi that year he was a couple of years older to Swami when he came
1: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, the story goes that you know he he was a very rich businessman he had jaggery business mm-hmm. in a town called Udumalpet in Tamil Nadu mm-hmm. so the only problem he had was he didn't have any children even after 10 years of marriage okay uh, so, he comes to know about Swami. He comes to hear that uh, there is one person near Bangalore who is called uh, Satasai Baba and who is doing all kinds of amazing things. Mm-hmm. So, his brother-in-law tells him that, you know, maybe he is a person you can try your problem with you know, okay. because he wanted a child. And uh, he was actually going from one pilgrim center to the other. So, his brother-in-law says, why don't you come and see Swami? Because his brother-in-law had seen Swami and the moment he had seen, he had become a devotee of Swami. So, he was getting more and more people to Swami. Hmm. So, it so happened that a bus of about 40 people.
1: I am sorry for interrupting but isn't that a common thing that happens? We come and once we are bowled over, Oh God, we I want to make the whole world into devotees right. because I feel it is such a beneficial thing. Right. The joy which we experience, <laughs> we want everybody else to experience. Yeah. So I so can... That's what
2: happened, you know. So, he convinced his sister. She was balapatabi's wife. She was enamored even by hearing about Swami so -hmm. she convinces her husband and very reluctantly he comes Mm -hmm. he says you know why do we have to go after these people and and imagine 60 year old Swami was just 16 years old Mm -hmm. and he was here was Puttaparthi which was like nobody else knew other than maybe people in (laughs) Bukhapatnam. that was how remote Puttaparthi was and they come in a bus about 40 of them come together and imagine those days if there was a retinue like this coming Swami would be at the gate to receive the group of devotees coming. Mm. And each devotee would come and garland Swami and take Swami's Paddanamaskar and Swami would call them inside. So, this bus of 40 people, each one procured a garland and they land up in old mandir. And when they stand in a queue and each one comes and offers a garland and Swami welcomes them. When, 16 year old Swami. Okay. A boy. Yeah, a 16 year old Swami. And here Mr. Balapatabi comes with his garland. And yeah, before that, what happens is the moment he sees Swami as he alights from the bus, he loses his heart. <laughs> Oh. Swami, who is so beautiful, and something as you said, you know, something magical about his presence. It's how not, many, it's not how just many, the look.
1: Yes, Prem, how many we have seen, you know? Uh, yes, Prem, I think that is that the answer is that Prem, the prema that he embodies, they people just come and, you know, if I can use the word, shamelessly without any inhibitions, pledge their heart to him. Right, and that's exactly what
2: happened to Mr. Balapattabi. The moment he saw Swami, he was drawn to Swami. Hmm. And when he goes to Swami to garland him, Swami says, I don't want you garland. Hmm. He says, you didn't want to come here. Then no, no, I don't want you garland. Like a little <laughs> child <Pouting> know, child, <laughs> who's hurt by uh, your act. No, he said, no, I don't want you garland. You go away. You didn't want to come here. So, but, but, but he says he was so hurt by it. You know, He goes behind the building and starts crying. Hmm. You know, Here was a 30 odd year old businessman who didn't want to come here and was so childlike. like in his tears when he was uh, not accepted and the thing happens that later Swami calls him Hmm. and puts an arm around his shoulder and says don't cry don't worry I just wanted to show you that I know everything I know what is running in your mind Hmm. but nobody is you know unwelcome in my mandir and embraces him and Swami tells him a very beautiful thing after that Swami says see you know 40 of you have come right all these people will leave me all Hmm. these people will not have constant faith in me only you and your wife will stay Oh. and he's surprised he said I am the only non-devotee in this group and my wife may be a neutral person but here yeah, Swami is saying that all of them will leave they will not be able to stand my test only you and your wife will stay hmm. and okay and this is what happens and later in the evening that same day Swami calls Balapatabi and takes him for a walk all alone okay and takes him into the darkness and Swami materializes uh, I think a chain or what do you call that uh, kind of a twine which they tie around so that no evil comes to you. That okay. Kind of, uh, Wear
1: the tie around the waist yes. or the wrist? The wrist. Okay, huh.
2: okay. I think something like that Swami materializes for him and ties it. and Swami holds his hand and as though Swami is giving a promise. Swami says, whatever happens, I will not let go of you. I will always be there for you. I will what always a be there soul.
1: for you. What a blessed soul.
2: At one side, Balbhatabh is really moved by this gesture of Swami. Literally, Swami is giving a promise. Swami is putting his palm in his palm and saying that I will not leave you. I will not leave you okay and whatever happens to you I will not leave you and the other side he was wondering what is going to happen to me I'm a I have a flourishing business and I'm doing pretty well the only Mm. uh, problem is I don't have a child Mm. but there is nothing impending for Swami to give me a promise Mm. like what he's giving me now yeah so he was confounded a bit but you know he was so happy to receive this benediction from Swami and needless to say that's what happened slowly his business for no reason started getting a downturn he started losing money.
1: He started losing in his business. And, you know, it's was, not that he gave money to Swami.
2: Right. No, no. It's not like Swami snatched away his money or anything. Uh-huh. It's just that his business, you know, it never appeared like it was going to happen. All of a sudden, his business started collapsing. He had a lot of debts. And, you know, there's one very interesting incident. He hmm. says that he decides to run away from the country.
4: Hmm.
2: For? Because he's not able to manage the problems he's having. Hmm. So he decides to. Uh, board a ship and go away to malaysia or somewhere and he says that he has not told anybody and he decides he'll write back to his wife later saying that i'm in malaysia after he's well settled hmm. so this is his idea so from his town he goes to chennai he stays in one of his customers house and from there he goes to this dock you know the harbor to take to board the ship so he takes 200 rupees with him to buy the ticket and when he goes there somebody picks his pocket he loses hmm. the money Mm. so he says okay I'll go back and I'll maybe borrow some money from this uh, my host and I'll try again when he comes back to the house there is a letter for him addressed to that person okay, okay. Bye. and he says you have a letter and he's surprised he said a letter for me here nobody, nobody knows I'm here mm. the moment he sees the envelope and he sees that handwriting he realizes it's Swami mm. because wow. it's in Swami's handwriting and you know he's not able to read the letter there's tears in his eyes he opens the letter and there Swami is written Go back to your home. Go back to your home. I will not leave you. I will not leave you. Whatever happens, I'll be with you.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And you, you know he's so overwhelmed by this, he doesn't go home. He actually comes to Parthi. Oh, okay. He comes running to Parthi, and when he comes to Parthi, Swami doesn't look at him. Oh my God. Okay, mm. and he says that he gives up food for three days. He doesn't eat and all that, but Swami doesn't relent. Swami doesn't look at him at all. So finally, he decides. He writes a letter to Swami saying that Swami. You're my final destination. So, if you will, that the time to part is now, so be it. I'm leaving my body. I'm giving hmm. up my life. Or so, did he, did he try suicide? Yeah. So, he writes a letter, leaves it outside Swami's door, and he goes to the nearby well. And he says, you No, know, he jumps into the well. Hmm. He writes in this book, you know, this experience. He says, Like. Which book is this? One book about his experience, it's written as Baba Satisai by Raganapati. Okay. one of the popular books in. Uh, in the devotee circle and the other thing is he himself has written a book I'm not too sure about the title of the book I think Lila is a divine leelas of Sathisai baba so there he writes when he jumps into the well you know almost like somebody is pulling him out of the well physically mm. like uh, you know when you fish <laughs> <laughs> you're pulled out he mm. says he is not able to reach the water he's pulled out of the well and he's dragged to Swami's room and the next moment he realizes he's sitting in Swami's presence my god and Swami again reprimands him and Swami says i didn't talk to you because i told you to go home and you came to Parthi and Swami tells you go trust in me whatever happens i'll be with you hmm. and uh, needless to say you know he goes back home it's not like his problems solved overnight but the beauty is he says in one point in the book you know when they're going through all this he and his wife sit down and decide no what do we do do we uh, listen to the Swami or not? Hmm. And then they kind of review all their things, all their incidents which have happened in their life ever since they went to Swami and they say that it's definitely worth believing in Swami and whatever happens we'll hold on to Him.
1: That is one beautiful thing, Prem, across the board you see. Whether it's in a worldly sense a happy experience or a sad experience, that day when we were discussing, we were discussing not only our joys but many times when we felt our hearts were also broken, right? With respect to matters regarding to Swami. But in spite of all that, when we look back at those, all those themselves have become reasons why we love Swami so much. I mean, with Swami, the so-called positive and the negative both together reinforce why we love Swami. And I feel that shows the other, you know, the other perspective about the three zeros. One way is to think that, you know, you come to Swami, you seek God and you lose everything else. I feel this is the actual perspective that it is not that you lose everything. Once you get to know Swami, once you get to know God, the other things automatically become zeros. Wealth does not matter. Relationship does not matter. Speaking of that, I am reminded of the famous story that Swami has narrated in discourses. It is also recorded you know, by other sources. About how once Lord Krishna decided to feign a headache. Okay. You know, he said his head was aching severely, and all the physicians were called, you know, and the celestial sage Narada also comes, and everybody tries all their therapies and cures. Nothing works, Lord Krishna's splitting headache remains. Finally, Lord Krishna says, I will tell you the medicine that will cure me. The medicine that will cure me is the dust from the feet of a devotee. Once you apply the dust from the feet of a devotee onto my forehead, my headache will be cured. So, can you get it? Now, immediately, Sage Narada moves back. You know, he says, how can I take the dust from my feet and apply it on the forehead of my Lord? What will happen? You know, according to the relationship between the Lord and the devotee, this is sacrilege. So, Narada does not want to do it. So do so many others. They tell, Lord Krishna is like our Guru. This is like disrespect from a disciple to the Guru to take dust from his feet and apply it onto the Guru's head. So, nobody is ready to go against that relationship. Then Lord Krishna tells Narada, you go to the Gopikas in Vrindavan and when Narada goes to the Gopikas, without a moment's hesitation, without a moment's hesitation, the Gopikas simply lift their feet, dust it off, take the dust and tell, please give this to our Lord as fast as possible and convey to us the good news that his headache is cured. When it came to that, the Gopikas did not care about what will happen, whether they are committing a sin, whether that will make them you know, downgrade their evolution, They nothing mattered. Whether their relationship will go, whether they are breaking, nothing mattered, nothing mattered. They lived for Krishna and that's all it is needed to be said about their life. Right. So, you see, it is not that because of their love for Krishna, They lost all their relationship. It is not that the Gopikas did not care for their husband, did not bother about anything else because Krishna made them, it is not in that negative sense. But having realised the value of the gem that Lord Krishna is, everything else felt like a zero. And that is what Swami tells us in the discourse, you know, he says, everything in the world, everything is zero, 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 zero. They all gain value when the in digit one, which is God, is placed next to them. Place God next to all these zeros, and it each zero seems to add more value. But you remove that one, remove God, add how many ever millions of zeros you want. Nothing, no value. The value remains the same, which is zero.
2: And talking about the Gopikas, you know, there's one beautiful Padhyam which Swami says. Of course, I can't quote it verbatim. The meaning of which is Swami says that, you know the uh, mother-in-laws of these Gopikas, they curse them or mouthfuls of abuses for their behavior. Their husbands draw swords and try to stop them. But hmm. the moment they hear the flute, you know, the sound of the flute coming from the Yamuna banks, they leave everything and run over there. Hmm. They never cared for their fame. They never cared for what people will say. That's how great their devotion was. And uh, talking about the zero of fame, you know, hmm. I think as late as in 2001 during a ramnavami discourse hmm. swami uh, spoke about kaikei and i think in that uh, series of discourses swami spoke about some very very little spoken about characters of ramayana and one of those characters was kaikei swami hmm. said why did kaikei ask for those three bones and swami narrated that a day before that event happened when she went before and,
1: that Prem, i think a brief introduction yeah, if sure, i, I think, can yes uh, sure. yes uh the Ramayana is an immortal epic where Lord Rama, an avatar of Lord Vishnu comes down to earth to annihilate the demons and the Rakshasas, mainly Ravana. Right, And Lord Rama has three other brothers who have been begotten from two other mothers. King Dasharata, who is Rama's father, has three wives Kausalya, Kaikeyi and Sumitra. Sumitra. And Lord Rama is the eldest, the son of the eldest queen Kausalya and Kaikeyi is the second Queen and her son is the second. You know, he is the second Prince. And uh, therefore, the story goes that just as Rama is about to be crowned as the King, the Crown Prince of Ayodhya, Kaikeyi goes to her husband, Dasharatha and says that you have promised me two boons anytime that I want in return for the services that I have rendered to you. I now seek my two boons. And then Dasharatha says, Ask whatever you want. The first boon she asks for is, Instead of Rama, my son Bharata should be made king. Right. And the second boon is, Rama should be sent to the forest, Dandakaranya the forest, that is infested with these demons, for a period of 14 years. These are the two boons. And King Dasharatha is heartbroken. And the Ramayana progresses that way. Bharata also decides that he doesn't want to rule. So he keeps Rama's footwear on the throne and he becomes like, you know, a proxy ruler. Lord Rama goes for the exile for 14 years, during which he annihilates all the demons and in the end, kills Ravana and then returns back to the kingdom. So, in all the traditional Ramayanas, Kaikeyi is painted as the villainous, the villainous who was responsible for this whole Ramayana coming through. And yes, Prem, now we can continue with that discourse.
2: Yeah, and in that discourse, you know, Swami narrated this very, very revealing incident. Swami says the day before she goes and asks for these two boons, hmm. Rama comes to the presence of Kaikeyi hmm. and kind of lays before her the plans for his entire avataric life. And He says, this is what I have come for. Okay, And he said, I cannot do all this remaining a king of Ayodhya if I become a king. There might be so many other conditions which called for him to take that decision. So, Rama says that, I have to go to the forest.
1: Hmm.
2: And Rama says, will you help me? Hmm. So, Kaikeyi says that, anything for you Rama, whatever you ask for. So then... And
1: and Swami, I remember He said that, Kaikeyi loved Rama much more than his own mother loved him. Right. And therefore, Rama goes to Kaikeyi and says, I know your love for me. I know so only
2: you can do this for me. And He says that, these are the two boons you have to ask. You have to ask that I be sent away to the forest and uh, she says if that is what you want me to do fine I will do it and then Rama tells her that do you know the implications of this act of yours
1: hmm.
2: He says, for Yo-oh. centuries to come he said your own son will hate you first are you ready to do she said yes if this is what you want me to do I will do it and he says for centuries to come as you was saying nobody will even name a child after you that's how infamous you will be because you will become the villainous you will become the most wretched person in the whole of Ramayana are you ready to do He says yes. He says your own husband because in the Ramayana it is said that Kaikeyi was the favourite queen queen of Dasharatha. He says the husband who sees you as his favourite will start hating you. You might even lose him. Are you still ready to do? And she says if this is the role you want me to play I am ready to play. That was her love for the
1: Lord. You know it is almost thousands of years later that the Lord redeems her. The Lord is Kala Yanama, Kala Kala Yanama, Kala Titha. He is beyond time. But in human years, if we measure it, till Swami revealed it, even I too, today I have such great respect for Kaikeyi. And you know, some people of course, they say that this is not there in the Ramayana. (laughs) My answer is, listen, Rama knows best. Naturally, Valmiki didn't know. This is some secret that only Rama and Kaikeyi knew. And that is why Sahi Rama is revealing it. And these are the subtle things that Swami reveals and when we talk of it as a third zero, where you know, you will fall in the eyes of those who actually love you and respect you and revere you. But even that should not be as important to you as your love for the Lord. And that is the kind of love that Kaikeyi had. So much so that for all the students, for all the devotees, for everybody, this is what is recorded even in the Ramakatha Rasa Vahini, where Ah, no, Ra-
2: not, even not, not even in the Ramakatha Swami. When Swami wrote the Ramakatha When
1: Swami wrote the. Yeah, correct. I'm sorry. <laughs> Thanks for correcting me. It was as late as 2001 that in the discourse that Swami revealed that Kaikeyi is not the greatest villainess, but the greatest devotee who sacrificed everything, including her own self-respect. See, but there is a hint, you know, in the Valmiki Ramayana, if you see. The next day itself Kaikeyi is there in the entourage right. which goes and falls at Rama's feet. Kaikei, the mother, the other two mothers don't. But Kaikei goes and falls at Rama's feet and says, Rama, please come back. Please come back. You know, this you can see is the devotee in Kaikei. I have done it because my Lord wants it to be done. But now, Lord, I want you back. Please come back. Please come back. Lord Rama just smiles and sends her back. If at all, if it was Anger. if it was her vile cunningness that made her banish Rama, would she the next day rush and fall at Rama's feet, requesting him and begging him to come back? But you know, that puts into perspective. Now, now Prem, now let us ask ourselves, do we seek Swami? When we seek Swami, it is not that we will be given a choice to choose between God and the others. A choice will be made for us. Will we be ready to accept it? not only accept it will we be able to cherish it and you know be excited about it and live up to it wow that is a real big ask no wonder it is said that the lord is constantly in search of a devotee because it often seems funny god all the devotees has only have only one god you have so many devotees no just as you are in search of your lord the lord too is in search of a devotee
2: i think that is the the transition that every devotee makes because it is the difference between you having a God to the state of God having you. Because we all come to Swami because we want Him. We want the glorious things which He stands for. But are we ready to give ourselves to Him? And if we are ready to give ourselves to Him, then we have to go through something it does, what Khalil it Gibran describes in his poem, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Yes.
2: <laughs> About love.
1: Yeah, I think it's one of the most beautiful pieces ever written on this. And I'm I'm very grateful to the Swami in Prem for having pointed out this poem to me, dear listeners. This is so beautiful. I mean, if you just close your eyes now and listen to what I'm going to read out, and just pictureize Swami there, Swami speaking this to us at different parts of the poem, at different points in the poem we will be able to empathize and feel, yes, oh yes, this is so right. That is what Prem felt, that is why he showed it to me and that is what I too felt and here I am, I start reading it out. Please, just close your eyes, bring in Swami in your mind's eye and just picturize Him telling this to you. When love beckons to you, follow Him. Though His ways are hard and steep, And when his wings enfold you, yield to him. Though the sword hidden among his pinions may wound you. And when he speaks to you, believe in him. Though his voice may shatter your dreams, as the north wind lays waste the garden. For even as love crowns you, so shall he crucify you. For even as he is for your growth, so is he for your pruning. Even as he ascends to your height and caresses your tenderest branches that quiver in the sun, so shall he descend to your roots and shake them in their clinging to the earth. Like sheaves of corn, he gathers you unto himself. He threshes you to make you naked. He sifts you to free you from your husks. He grinds you to whiteness. He kneads you until you are plaint. And then he assigns you to his sacred fire that you may become sacred bread for God's sacred feast.
2: All these things shall love do unto you that you may know the secrets of your heart and in that knowledge become a fragment of life's heart. But if in your fear you would seek only love's peace and love's pleasure, then it is better for you that you cover your nakedness and pass out of love's threshing floor. Into the seasonless world where you shall laugh, but not all your laughter, and weep, but not all your tears. Love gives not but itself, and takes not but from itself. Love possesses not, nor would it be possessed, for love is sufficient unto love. When you love, you should not say, God is in my heart, but rather, I am in the heart of God. And think not, you can direct the course of love. For love, if it finds you worthy, directs your
1: course. Love has no other desire but to fulfill itself. But if you love and must needs have desires, let these be your desires. To melt and be like a running brook that sings its melody to the night. To know the pain of too much tenderness. To be wounded by your own understanding of love and to bleed willingly and joyfully to wake up at dawn with a winged heart and give thanks for another day of loving to rest at the noon hour and meditate love's ecstasy to return home at eventide with gratitude and then to sleep with a prayer for the beloved in your heart and a song of praise upon your lips
2: Really beautiful, isn't it Arvind? And what powerful words and I think it kind of summarizes all what we wanted to say about love because here not only the pleasant emotions of love where you know he says that even as he ascends to your heights and caresses your tenderest branches that quiver in the sun so shall he descend to your roots and shake them in their clinging to the earth because that's the role of love you know even as
1: Love even that statement, you. you know, it 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 brings the image of Jesus Christ in the mind. Right. He says, "Even as love crowns you, so shall he crucify you." Absolutely. I mean, Jesus was crowned and yet crucified, and both are two sides of the same coin. So, as we discussed, it is better to read this out because it is so tough to put the same thing into better words.
2: And even these words, which you know, my one of my favorite, actually. And when his wings enfold you, yield to him. Though the sword hidden among his pinions may wound you. You know that, yield to that embrace. But you know, there is a sort of pain in that embrace. You know, which might hurt you, but it's good for you.
1: And the most powerful message from all this, I feel. Think not you can direct the course of love. Absolutely. For love, if it finds you worthy, will direct your course. We just have to make ourselves worthy of His love. Our course will automatically be directed. And if I look at myself, I feel all the while I am trying to direct the course of this love with Him. What a powerful message it is. Just make yourself worthy. Everything else will be directed. And all this comes back to our topic Prem, which is again of the three zeros because we somehow find consolation, we find joy, we find whatever only in action, in doing something, the concept of nothingness, being nothing, just, you know, sheer existence and nothing else is so uncomfortable. It feels so lazy, it feels so lethargic, it feels so negative. But you know, I remember one discourse just three days back, I think, I think it was on the occasion of Shivratri. it was being played on Radio Sai. In that discourse, Swami so beautifully said it, you know, He said, if I tell you to close your eyes and close them real tight, shut it, shut them and then what do you see? The answer is we see darkness and then Swami said you never say that I don't see anything. You say I see darkness, I see blackness, I see nothingness. So that means you know Swami says that it is not as if There is light and there is absence of light. There is light, there is dark. There are two sides. These are the two sides that come in the dual world. Joys and sorrows. It is not as if the lack of joy is sorrow. There is joy, there is sorrow. There is light, there is darkness. They are all two things. And then Swami said, you have a light within that is able to see the light, that is able to see the darkness when you close the eyes. That is the true light. That is the Atma Jyoti. So, just as, you know, we take something or anything as a thing, nothing is also a thing. You know, it's just like uh, (laughs) two sides of the same coin.
2: And how many times you've heard Swami saying that, you know, putting out His empty hand and saying, asking what is there in this? Hmm. And when the answer comes that there is nothing, Swami says that there is everything and there is nothing. And I think we should play that small clip. Oh uh, yes, from a discourse which was delivered, I think in 1986. Again, it was a Shivratri discourse when Swami was talking about this concept of nothing. A hmm. uh, very profound clip. I think we should play that today.
5: Yes. Nature is <laughs> God. That is <laughs> why we have to just see whatever you see is God. Nature itself is God. Energy is God. Energy itself is God. Nothing is God. Nothing also is God. It is not nothing. There is everything. What you call nothing is not really nothing. It is everything. Nothing is nothing and it would not be. Only In what we call nothing, everything is hidden and Everything, everything and it Nothing not be nothing. What you call everything, everything, in fact, there is nothing. Everything is nothing. Nothing is everything. <laughs> in the meaning, some substance of it is everything is nothing. And nothing. say, so, for example this world. We think that everything is in this world, but truly speaking, this is nothing. nothing, nothing we say that there is no God, there is no God, and God is nothing. But y- everything is in God, truly the speaking. An atheist declares that God doesn't exist. There is no God. He says that there is,
4: there
5: is no God. There is, no God next to it. In this sentence, there is no God. The first part, there is a declaration has come first. an atheist is one who is denying what is existing. Blind. But he is blind. The atheist is blind.
1: <laughs> so succinctly put, Prem, and it's so sweet to hear Swami say, nothing is everything <laughs> and everything is nothing. You know, this this concept is so profound. I remember reading a short story, you know. The short story was about an orchestra competition that takes place
4: mm-hmm.
1: and after the competition, there are four teams that perform and everybody is discussing, you know, who should be the winner, whether it's team A or team B or team C or team D okay. and the discussion goes on and Everybody feels that Team B should win. Mm -hmm. The decision is common among all the people who are discussing. But the reasons they give is different. You know, somebody says that Team B, you know, I think is the winner because their chords were so beautiful. Somebody else says, I think Team B is the winner because the ragas that they used, you know, the notes that they used were so rich. Somebody else says, I think Team B is the winner because their music matched the theme so perfectly and various other reasons. And at that time, there is a person who is considered as the musical icon of that place Mm -hmm. and as he is walking by, they just go to him. He has also attended this competition. He has just been one among the audience. And so, seeing him, all these four boys who are discussing, they rush up to him and they say, Sir, what do you think? Who do you think is the, will be the winner of this competition? He just closes his eyes for a moment and he says, I feel that the winner will be team B.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: And everybody so happy because, you know, their judgment matches the judgment of the icon, the star, the superstar, you know, you feel great. And they say, ah, yes, sir, we knew it, sir, because, you know, I felt that the chords were so harmonic over there. And the other person says, yes, yes, because, you know, the ragas they used and again, all of them says their reasons. Then this icon says, you know, this legend, he says, that if it was Raga's, then I think team A did a better job of it. If you are talking about the way they blended the chords, I think team D did a better job. If you think about relevance of the theme and the music, I think team C did a better job. But team B will win the prize. Now, you know, they were all shocked because the decision was right but the reasons for the decision seemed wrong. And then this legend says that team B wins because of the rich silence between the notes of their piece and he walks away. And then, you know, the author of the story brings up this point so powerfully that we often think that music is a series of notes. Music is not just notes. Music is a series of notes interspersed with zones of silence. Silence. As important is the melody, that important is the silence. You know, you see it so many times happening in so many movies. Sometimes, at the climax of a scene that is taking place, there is just deadbeat silence. No amount of loud, jarring or hitting music can build up that impact of the silence over there. Silence is being used. They don't say that, don't put any music. They say, put silence here. And that is why even if you give a great speech, for example. A thunderous applause is a sure sign of success. Right, But in the world, you see that a stunned, stupefied silence is considered as a greater applause than a deafening applause itself. They say that there was a deafening silence. What an oxymoron but there is a very poignant point here that music is not just notes, it is also the silence between the notes. If we translate that into our day-to-day life, we think that our life is a series of activities and therefore our happiness, our joys, everything is based on activity. But it is not so. It is not so because if we are unable to find joy in inactivity, then we can never be truly joyful because life is 50% activity and 50% inactivity, just as music is 50% the melody and 50% the silence between the notes. So, nothingness is actually everything in that sense because that is what gives music. If those silences are not there, there is no music at all. So, when Swami says, nothing is everything, this is what we realize. I mean, I felt this story is very relevant over here. You
0: know,
2: Indeed, actually, what we call beats, what we call... Uh rhythm hmm. is nothing but you know one way of seeing it is a sound which repeats itself in regular intervals
1: sound separated by silences
2: yeah but actually it might be silence which is separated by sounds which is repeating itself in regular intervals wow yes and I think everything is like that you know Swami always makes this point innumerable chinakatas where Swami says that you don't have to go out in search of silence because we always think that silence is always outside you know Uh, That is why the concept of going into the forest and doing meditation. Hmm. Because actually the silence which we have to seek is Swami says that can you see silence in the noise? Hmm. Can you see solitude in a crowd? Swami says that is what is important. You have to be in solitude even when you are in the crowd.
1: Going logically by our discussion it is so easy to see sound in silence. When there is absolute silence even a pin drop is heard. Then going by that, it should be as easy to sense the silence when there is so much noise. Exactly. In fact, when there is so much of silence, just as a sound stands out, when there is so much noise, that is when the silence will stand out. And that is why maybe we are all put into the world. And Swami says, therefore, be of the world, but do not let the world enter you. Maybe there is a reason why we are put into this so-called noise. Because maybe the only way to discover that silence is amidst the noise, just as we are able to discover the noise when it's absolutely silent.
2: Exactly. You know, talking of uh, this concept, I'm reminded of a Chennakertha which Sami used to say, and very dramatically. Swami would narrate it. Hmm. Uh, I'm not capable of that, but <laughs> at least we share it. Hmm. Where you know there is this man who is given to bad temper, hmm. and his wife always keeps telling him that you have very ill temper, you're short tempered. So, one fine day, he says that, okay, I'm going to set out now and conquer this temper of mine and come back. Hmm. Okay. And he goes away into the forest. And for months, he is meditating and doing penance there to conquer this anger. And finally, one day, he comes back and he declares to his wife, I've conquered my anger. Okay. And uh, she says, are you sure? You mean, you've conquered your anger? He says, yeah, I've conquered my anger. I'll never get angry now. And she again asks, you are sure you've conquered your anger? You really mean you've conquered your anger? He says, yeah, I've conquered my anger. Hmm. I mean are you really sure that you have conquered and he bursts out and says yes I have conquered my anger. (laughs) (laughs) And you know Swami goes on to say that what is the point in going out where there is nobody and trying to control yourself and control your anger. Hmm. Be where it is needed. Be where equanimity is needed. Be where you know sweet temper is needed and cultivate that.
1: Like the other saying that goes a ship was not meant to be in a harbour.
2: Right. Though it spends most of its time in the harbour
1: its quality is measured when it's able to sail out in the sea. So too, silence doesn't mean cutting away and going as you said. It is in the crowd when you are able to keep the silence. And two very powerful points here Prem, one is true silence can be measured only when you are able to keep it in the crowd. And the second thing, I mean this as we had this discussion, as you said, it struck somewhere within me and that's why I'm so excited about this fact that the reciprocal must hold true if we are able to discover even the slightest sound when there is absolute silence. We will be able to discover that magical silence when there is absolute chaos and sound everywhere else.
2: Absolutely. Because
1: that is the reciprocal, that's like the mirror image. Wow, so many thoughts and in, we can... But, you know,
2: Coming back to this topic of uh, zeros and nothingness, putting in context with what we spoke in the last couple of minutes, I think it is important is to f- remove that fear of that zero remove that fear of that nothingness when Swami says three zeros it's not necessarily meaning that Swami is going to rip you off your wealth and Swami is going to uh, take away all that is dear to you it is not necessarily that I think Swami puts us through a process where you say that this is a zero hmm. you, it is not necessarily you go to a zero account balance you know anything like that you go through a certain set of experiences where you look back and say that this is a zero for me Mm. you look at fame and name and you say this is a zero for me you look at all your friends and the people who flock around you and say this is a zero for me the only reality is for me. I think that is the process and that is what we are saying you know that, see, listening to that silence in a noise being in solitude in a crowd I think that is what it is when you are able to negate what you actually earlier felt was reality
4: mm.
2: that is what is important I think that is the process which Swami is putting us all through and the other day I was thinking you know If you take the example of Ramana Maharshi, Ramana Maharshi said that you're not the body. You're beyond the body and the pain of the body will not hurt you. Let us say somebody who is suffering from some pain comes to Ramana Maharshi. And Ramana Maharshi says that, what will that person's reaction be? He'll say that, what do you know of pain?
1: What do you know of pain? Yeah, it's easy for you to sit there and talk. It's easy for you to
2: say, I'm having the pain. Hmm. So I think it was necessary for somebody like Ramana to go through that pain and show and live that message which he had come to give.
1: That is exactly what Swami did.
2: And that's exactly what Swami did and that's exactly what Swami is letting many devotees do in their lives. Hmm. It is not enough if Swami just imparts equanimity to them.
1: Hmm.
2: Swami also gives them an opportunity to express that equanimity in their life when Swami puts them through you know, these three zeros or whatever difficulty Swami puts them through. So I think it is essentially a part of
1: it's like His two, it is like two things Prem. I feel the one message that we can take out of this is that we should not consider sorrowful times or painful times as a lack of something. Right. It's almost like say a white cat and a black cat. Sometimes it's a white cat, sometimes it's a black cat. It's not that God's grace is lacking and therefore it is like this. God's grace is there and therefore, I mean like when you spoke of Bala Pattabhi, everyone says that you know I came to Swami and ever since then my business has grown and this and you feel that. But if you say, I came to Swami and you know, my, can we tell, I came to Swami and you know, after that, my business has gone down. Can we tell with the same <laughs> enthusiasm or energy in the voice? Because just like the white cat and the black cat, both are gifts of the Lord.
2: Absolutely. You know, we spoke about Isaac Tagrit. There's that beautiful incident which he narrates. He says he goes through a lot of difficulties in life, you know. Personally, his brother dies in his arms and so many very, very harrowing experiences he has. He has a broken family and he never has had a happy childhood. And when one of those days when Swami calls him for an interview, he asks Swami that, Swami, why did I go through this difficult time? Because that has been something which is nagging him all his life. Why did I go through this bad experience? And why was I cursed the way I was? These are the words he uses. And when he asks Swami, why did I go through this? Swami says, to soften your heart. Okay, and he says in that moment the way he looked at all his life changed he says my god all the while what i saw as curse today i know it's a boon today i know it's a blessing
1: this what you said prem is so deeply embedded in everything that swami says and does i remember you know beautiful poem that swami has written which answers two questions one question swami's is answering is how will you know that i am near you Right. And the second question that he is answering is, How will you know that you are near me? And if we see the answers for these two questions, they literally represent the white cat and the black cat. Uh, let me read out the first part of the poem. Okay. It says, Dear Loved One, You ask, How will you know that I am near you? When on a sultry night everything is hot and still, The first cool breeze brushes your cheek. I am caressing you, think of me. When the pangs of hunger are satisfied and loneliness is pierced by happiness, think of me. When your mouth is parched and you can hardly speak, the first sip of cool water, I am soothing you, think of me. When the cloud of death disappears, first on the opening of the baby's smiling eyes, think of me. When I sprinkle your face with rain and wash the earth, the dry brown leaves, the first smell of clean rain, I am cleansing you, think of me. When pain dissolves and fear disappears, think of me. When steadfast eyes are horrified by the cruelties of life, the first glance of the silent setting sun, I am comforting you. Think of me. All these imagery, you know, all this imagery brings forth a a thing where you are in a deep trouble. You are in 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 pain and something soothing happens. God brings solace. God brings solace. And when God brings solace, those are the times we know that He is near us.
2: And then, then the second part <laughs> that is a very very profound part of the poem where he says that Then you ask, how will you know when you are near me? And Swami goes on to answer When the burning sun has scorched you and the earth, the sand and dust fill your eyes Not a silver of shade about and you love me When loneliness is accompanied by hunger and not one can be satisfied And you love me When your lips are cracked, your tongue feels like clay, your throat seals up, there is no water about, not even a mirage in sight, and you love me. When you hold a dying child with eyes pleading, and you love me. When you stir the ocean, I'm sorry, I think it's when I stir the ocean to a crescent, you flounder in its depth like a leaf, and you love me. When I take from you your most cherished possessions, on the first loss of your sight, darkness envelops you and you love me. For everything you see, hear, smell, taste or touch belongs to me. So how can you give me what I already am but your love that I gave to you before time began as your sole possession? When you return it to me, then will I know you are truly mine and I will dissolve your sorrow and happiness into me. That being me I will place you in bliss forever for I love and think of you constantly
1: from your most loving father that was what Swami had written
2: Swami had written to a devotee many many years ago
1: so well Prem we can go on and speak so many things that crop up but one thing that surely has come out of this discussion is that nothing is everything and everything is nothing. And that is what is the concept of the three zeros where it is not as if God snatches away our wealth, God snatches away our relationships or God snatches away our self-respect. It is a time when God enters us in such a manner, He enters our lives in such a manner where all these three become meaningless or become zeros which gain their value only if God is there. Yes, Wealth is a fantastic thing but when it is there with God because wealth is a zero and God is the one that gives value. Same way, relationships are magnificent when they are based on God. In the same manner, your self-respect, your self-esteem, what people think of you is wonderful, is a great thing. Your reputation, name and fame are wonderful, wondrous as long as they are based on God. I think with that, we offer our most humble and grateful pranams at the lotus feet of our most beloved master, mother, father, friend, everything. And thank him for giving us this chance of being part of this beautiful satsang.
2: And I'd like to uh, close with a prayer which one student made to Swami. in mm-hmm. A similar situation when Swami had given him an instruction to do something which he didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. And eventually Swami prevailed and Swami made him do that. At the end of that, This student made this prayer to Swami. I think all of us collectively can make this prayer to Swami. He said, Swami, next time don't ask me to do anything. Mm. Just make me do it. Let me not have a choice or a will of my own. I think, Swami, don't give us the choice between you and anything else. Let there be no choices. Let you be the one who chooses what is right for us. And,
1: and I think that is a beautiful culmination, Prem. It started off with loving God, then to loving God in isolation, then choosing God over everything else. And finally, the culmination is where God chooses, and we don't want that choice also because we want only Swami.
2: Thank you, Swami, for this opportunity you've given both of us to be a part of this satsang. And we thank you on behalf of all our listeners who have also been able to be a part of this.
1: We will conclude with one beautiful song. You know, it speaks about the world as a a chakki, what do you call a chakki? A grindstone, a a millstone where one stone is joy and one stone is sorrow and says that the person, Kabir, this is a a composition of Saint 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 Kabir Kabir. who says that between the millstones of joy and sorrow, every one of us get crushed. It is not as if sorrow is a bad thing and joy is a good thing. Both are millstones and both are equally responsible for us getting crushed. The only way you can save yourself is to move to the center, center of the millstone where that rod goes in, you know, the turning rod and those grains do not get crushed and that turning rod, Kabir says, is the Lord, the name of the Lord. Take refuge there and then alone will you be saved. That beautiful song which speaks about the ephemeral nature of the world.
6: पाटन के बीच में साबत बचा नको दो दिन का जग में मेला सब चला चली का केला इनका जग में मेला सब चलाचले का खेला कोई चला गया कोई जावे कोई गठरी बांध सिधावे कोई चला का जग में मेला, सब चला-चली का केला मात-पिता सुत नारी भाई, अंत सहायक नाही मात-पिता सुत नारी भाई, अंत सहायक नाही
0: Sai Ram, you just heard an episode of our radio series, Afternoon Satsang. This is a live discussion between Radio Sai's Prem and Arvind on different spiritual topics and today's episode was first featured as part of Radio Sai's Thursday Live at 12.30pm on March 14th, 2013. You can mail us your comments and feedback to listener at radiosai.org,